Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. I am shoehorning an extra episode in to the Emotions and Feelings mini-series. It was supposed to be four parts, now it's five. So this is part four of five, and it's meant a little bit of rejigging, but I think it's worth it, and I think you'll agree once you hear the information that's in this episode. So let's dive in. Whenever I'm recording episodes about a particular subject, I'm naturally drawn to information that aligns with that subject. And so this week, my attention was drawn to a magazine I have had in my possession for, God, at least a year, but haven't gotten around to reading. It's a publication called The Brain Explained. And in it, there's an article titled How Emotions Fool Your Brain by Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. Dr. Feldman Barrett is a psychologist and neuroscientist and also the author of How Emotions Are Made, a fantastic book that I ordered since reading the article. Now, before reading the article, I thought I had a pretty good handle on emotions and how they work. But Dr. Feldman Barrett kind of blew that out of the water. And that's why I wanted to record this episode, because for me, the ideas that she talks about have opened this whole new world when it comes to thinking about how I could potentially look at my emotional experiences and what it means to have emotional control, which is incredibly exciting when you think about the fact that emotions are the things that drive us in every aspect of our lives. So if we have more control over them, then it stands to reason we have more control over our lives, which, as you know, is one of my goals and is one of the goals of this podcast. All right, so the first thing to say before I go into the part where Dr. Feldman basically blew my mind is that if her theories are correct, then they fly in the face of some of the things we thought we knew about emotions, including the things I have mentioned earlier in this mini-series. So what I share with you here will contradict in some ways some of the things I have previously spoken about. This kind of thing is relatively common in psychology because as new information comes to light, we begin to see the flaws in earlier theories. And so things adapt and change as more information becomes available and new theories are tested. So the theory I spoke to you about before, where emotions are hardwired, subconscious, instinctive behaviors that have this kind of evolutionary survival purpose, That theory is what Dr. Feldman refers to as classical emotional theory. It's the most popular and most widely believed theory of emotions to date. From this perspective, we believe that emotions are kind of entities, like it's a thing, and it has almost like a fingerprint. So when you experience a particular emotion, it happens instinctively, and certain things happen to your brain and body, and those things are predictable. But if you listened to the Emotions versus Feelings episode of this mini-series, you'll remember that parts of those tests don't actually hold up very well once subjectivity gets involved. So what I explained as the difference between emotions and feelings, Dr. Feldman explains as a completely different theory for the emotions themselves. She refers to this theory as the constructionist view. And it's the belief that emotions are not single entity, instinctive things, not a unit of something but is actually a constructed reaction where it's almost like a series of puzzle pieces come together to construct an appropriate reaction based on what's happening and what is predicted to happen. From this view, there are three ingredients or three puzzle pieces that come together. I sort of see it like Iron Man's suit. like So it's really cool and high tech and it comes together really fast. 
Although, considering how fast the stuff happens with emotions, it would make Iron Man's suit seem like it was being put together by a snail. Anyway, in this view, there are three ingredients that we look at. The first is the body budget. The second is the current situation. And the third is prediction. The predictive element was the part that really blew me away and really opened loads of doors in my mind with regards to thinking about how I've experienced emotion in the past and how I've explained what I was feeling. And I'll come to all of that in just a moment, but I'll start with the two kind of easier to explain pieces and then move to the predictive bit afterwards. So as we talked about in previous episodes, we already know that the brain's number one job is to keep us alive. What I didn't realize is that it does this through a series of predictions. About 60 to 80% of the energy consumed by the brain is used to make predictions. So even here, the predictive element is already present. But what the body budget is actually about is kind of maintaining the balance of all the systems by regulating heart rate, blood flow, breathing, sweat, literally every single thing in our bodies. And the way Feldman explains it is a bit like a budget you would use for your finances. So you make changes and adaptations to your spend based on forecasts of what you're going to need later on, what you predict is coming up later this week or later this month. So maybe you're not going to spend as much today or you're free to go out for dinner or whatever because there's nothing else big coming up this month. Just the same way as you do that with your finances, your body does that with all of its systems, hormone levels, salt, sugar, everything but all of this is happening at a subconscious level. Now, we already knew that the body does that sort of thing, that those systems are regulated and they're done at a subconscious level. That's not news. If you've ever been on a diet or done any kind of research into nutrition, you've probably come across some version of this idea. If you know that starving yourself will slow down your metabolism and that you'll ultimately end up gaining more weight, then you have already been exposed to the concept of the body budget. We also know that in certain situations, things like hunger or tiredness can affect mood and therefore can affect your emotions. But I don't think until I read Feldman's book and looked at the constructionist theory of emotions, did it ever occur to me that that was an ingredient of emotions. What's happening in your body plays a massive role in how your emotions manifest. It's one of the ingredients. And although we've always known that things like tiredness or hunger or imbalances of hormones could affect mood and emotions, it's quite different when you say this one thing can affect this other thing versus these two things are part of the same whole. From there, you get a much stronger perspective of the effect of nutrition, sleep, hydration, exercise, and how those things can so dramatically affect emotions if they are part of what makes an emotion manifest. So that's part one, the body budget. And the more balanced the budget, the more likely you are to experience more balanced emotions. Ingredient two is the current situation. This part was also fascinating to me because what the constructionist view basically says about the current situation is that your body will interpret what it's experiencing based on the current situation and that is what will give it meaning. So let's say your heart rate has sped up, your breathing has shallowed, your muscles are slightly tense and the current situation is that you are reaching for a door handle to open a door and walk in for a job interview. So that physical information gets interpreted as fear or nervousness. But let's keep the body conditions the same and change the current situation. 
you've just been kissed by the person that you have fancied for months and hoped liked you as well. Now the feeling gets interpreted as something else. Now it might be excitement or maybe even lust. So the constructionist view holds that actually when you break apart the elements that make up an emotion, like the physical and the mental components, the measurable parts, they look very similar across a span of emotions. Also, they're not necessarily identical from person to person. So where one person scowls when they're angry and maybe even balls up their fists, another person stands completely still, eyes wide, face neutral, but their heart rate goes up. Both people report feeling anger, but there's a difference in how those things manifest. Now, in the episode about emotions and feelings, we talked about that and the fact that when you interpret what you're experiencing, there's a massive subjective element. In the classical view of emotions, we have to separate those things out. But in the constructionist view, you could say, well, that's just the ingredients of the emotion. Again, it doesn't really matter. The theory part isn't that relevant, at least not for our purposes. The point is, as we begin to understand these things more, we start to see where there are opportunities for us to think differently about our experiences in such a way that we can take greater control. And that brings me to the final part of the puzzle, which is the predictive element. I already mentioned a little bit of it when I talked about the body budget, but now we talk about the predictive element of the emotions themselves. The way Feldman says it works is that your brain uses your experience as well as information from the current situation to manage your behavior in whatever that situation is. And of course, we know that managing your behavior means managing your emotions because behavior is determined by emotions. Before we look at that part, though, let's just look at a physical example because that's kind of easier to understand. So let's say you went walking through a field or hiking up a mountain or something. Your brain is continuously predicting the requirements of the terrain ahead and therefore is managing your muscle control so that your foot goes down at the right angle with the right pressure and so on. And then when it makes a predictive error, you trip or fall or you have that weird jarring sensation. You know when you think there's another step and there isn't one? Those are predictive errors. Now that we have that piece in place, let's look at an emotional example. Let's imagine you are walking through the woods. You're taking a shortcut. It's late, it's dark, and it's cold. There's a road nearby, so you didn't anticipate it would be quite as dark as it is, but now you're in, so you keep going. The entire time you're walking, your brain is making preparations for what lies ahead or what could lie ahead. And so according to Dr. Feldman, when you encounter something scary, that fear reaction rises so fast it feels instinctive, but that's because it was actually predictive. Again, that's not super mind-blowing because in a fearful situation, whether the fear was predictive or instinctive, it doesn't really matter. It, it arises the same way. But where the mind-blowing part comes in is the fact that you still get emotional predictive errors. The example I just gave you about walking through the woods was one from my own life. It was October 2019, back in the days when we could still be in the same place as other people. And my son's school was hosting a quiz night. So it was the first social interaction with other parents. I didn't know them particularly well. And I really wanted to make a good impression. So I didn't want to get there late and have the team have had to start without me. And because of that, I made the decision to take the shortcut through the forest rather than go the long way, which was well lit, but would have taken me 15 minutes more. So I arrived on time, you know, it's lots of smiles, lots of chatter, everyone was really nice, but I was really uneasy. And when after the first few minutes that feeling didn't go away, I put it down to social anxiety. 
And that kind of makes sense when you think about the constructed three ingredients. The current situation, lots of new people. I'm feeling nervous. What is this feeling? Oh, social anxiety. As was my way at the time, I drank more than was ideal. And so the feelings of unease stayed with me until the following day. But again, look at it from the constructionist view of emotions, and that could just as easily have been a body budget issue, because I'd thrown everything out of whack with the alcohol from the previous night. So I hope you can see just from that single example how much power this idea holds, because it gives you so many avenues to explore when dealing with feelings that perhaps felt like they were just these single entity things that we were stuck with. By seeing how they fit together and all the various parts that we potentially can play with, there's so much power in that. Thinking about emotions this way has made me look back at some of the experiences I've had and reevaluate them. Suddenly, those times when I felt anxious for no reason or uneasy in perfectly comfortable situations led me to think about, well, what was happening before or what patterns have I experienced that would allow me to predict more threatening situations than actually exist? What was I eating, drinking, or doing at those times or just before? And suddenly I had a whole host of other options to play with. Understanding this element of emotions could also explain all kinds of other situations. Why do people react so defensively to feedback at work no matter how well it's delivered? Maybe because the predictive machinery, using experiences from school and parenting, leads them down an emotional road that isn't necessarily accurate for the situation they are in. There are hundreds of situations that just keep popping to my head as to when and how this kind of knowledge could be useful to us. Now, of course, most of this is happening below the level of consciousness, so it's not super easy to get out in front of it and make changes. But there are things we can do, and that's what the last episode in the mini-series focuses on. But before even getting to strategies, just thinking about our feelings in slightly different ways based on this information can make a difference. It can lift the weight a little bit. If I go back to that example of the quiz night and think about how it felt to think I was struggling with social anxiety versus how it might have felt if I had thought, I've just run through the forest by myself in the dark with thoughts circling in my mind about what would happen if I was doing this exact thing where I come from, South Africa, and how unlikely I would be to survive it. And so once I arrive at the school, I'd maybe recognize that I was filled with and primed with a whole host of fear responses that I wasn't going to need in the social setting I was about to go into. And therefore, it would be really a good idea for me to take some time and just kind of ground myself and center myself before going in to meet these people and almost maybe reset the clock before going in and saying hello. Because it is stressful meeting new people, but if I'm already pumped with kind of I might die stress, well, it was never going to go that well, was it? So next week, we look at the skills it takes to take greater control of your emotions. And there are a number of specific skills I'll walk you through. But maybe off the back of this episode, you'll have the opportunity to think through some of your experiences and think about how, if you'd had this information, you might have interpreted them slightly differently and that could have freed you up a little bit to let go of some of the heavier stuff. As always, I would love your comments and questions. You can leave those on the show notes at bighappylife.co.uk. 
And if you're enjoying the podcast, please recommend it to friends and family. The more listeners we have, the more likely it will be that we can bring on amazing guests and start really hearing about the things we can do and the ways we can live that will help us experience life to its fullest. For now, though, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.